0: This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more.
1: Well, what if it's 2022 and I need, let's call it $100,000 to sustain my lifestyle, but my stocks went down, so I'm actually drawing and I'm hurting my my position because I need $100,000 to live, but my stocks are down. That math and playing that game year in and year out, I didn't like it.
0: This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids & Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill. And today we're talking about the importance of saving and investing when your income grows. In our careers or business ventures, we may come across a huge windfall that may be a big commission from a sales job, a bonus for an incredible year or a series of years where we're paid handsomely for our hard work. And we have a choice with that windfall time in our lives. We can spend most all of it and live lavishly for a period of time, or we can save and invest a large portion of it, knowing that these days may not always be here. To help us discover the importance of saving and investing when our income grows, I've invited author Devon Kennard on the show today. Devon is an NFL linebacker, investor, and philanthropist. Over the last decade, he has developed into a savvy real estate investor, amassing a multi million dollar portfolio all while playing in the NFL. He's also the author of the new book, It All Adds Up Designing Your Game Plan for Financial Success. When he's not inspiring others to use their active income to create passive income. He's spending time with his wife, Camille, and his two daughters. Welcome to the show, Devon. Thanks
1: for having me, man. It's a pleasure.
0: Awesome, man. Well, it's great to have you here. Now, knowing your father played in the NFL, did that early exposure to an NFL career and the fact that it doesn't last forever, did that shape your views on money and financial freedom?
1: Well, yeah, because growing up, my dad's last year in the NFL when I was like four and five years old, so most of my upbringing was his life post-NFL. So I got to see what that looked like and made me realize as years went on and on that he spent so much time outside of the NFL and he have so much life ahead of you. So it kind of forced me naturally to pay attention to that because I'm like, you know, my dad played 13 years, which is a ridiculously long time to play in the NFL, and he still had all this life to live once he was done. So it it kind of was ingrained into me at a young age, like, all right, well, football is going to end one day. I'm seeing it right in front of me. So let me plan for that and what that's going to look like.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, walk us through the early portion of your NFL career. Talk to us about where you started, what you were earning. Give us a little background.
1: Well, I think it starts back in college. I went to the University of Southern California and I was a top recruit out of high school, had scholarships to go anywhere in the country. But when I was in college, I started to face a lot of injuries and position changes. And I was going through a lot of adversity that, you know, it made it unlikely. There was reports like, is Devon Kennard ever going to make it to the NFL and things like that? And I ended up having a really good redshirt senior year. I ended up with nine and a half sacks. I, I played really well, and I had a and I put myself in a position to get drafted. But I was still drafted late. I was at uh, the bottom of the fifth round, pick 174. I'll never forget it. And you know, now I'm in the NFL, but I don't know how long or what my future is going to look like. So there was some guarantees, but I think my signing bonus was like a hundred and something thousand dollars. So it was a lot of money for uh, 23. But nothing that was going to you know sustain me the rest of my life, and my mindset was like all right. I'm hopefully going to play this year, but I don't know what the rest of it's going to look like. So as soon as I got in the NFL, instead of using that signing bonus to buy a car or get a lavish you know, apartment, because I, I was drafted by the New York Giants, I got, a, I got a fairly affordable apartment not too far from our facility. And I brought out my high school and college car, which was a 2005 Kia Sorento. So that's what I drove around. And, you know, it's a humbling feeling when you're walking into or driving into, you know, the facility and you're seeing Rolls Royces, Lamborghinis, you know, Mercedes, G-Wagons, all kinds of vehicles. And, and I'm driving in with my 2005 Kia Sorento. It was the first taste of like, all right, I want some nice things, but I'm gonna, I believe in delayed gratification and I want to make sure I set myself up before I start to buy those things.
0: Now that had to have been hard seeing all that and kind of holding yourself back. Was that difficult? Was there a temptation there for you as a young man?
1: Well, I would say one thing that I I say a lot is people say like, don't let your spending increase. Like, oh, you start making way more money and keep your spending the same. And in in theory, that is amazing. In actuality, it's a bunch of baloney if you ask me. I, I think it's unrealistic to a degree. And a great example is I was in college living after all my bills were paid, living off at 300, somewhere between three and five hundred dollars a month and just making it work. That's all I had to spend once my once my rent was paid. And then I get into the NFL and I, my mindset was like, I'm all, like after my after I paid my like well my car was already paid for. My parents bought it. But my rent and all of my expenses, I'm only going to have a thousand dollars. That's all I'm going to spend a month. And every month I blew that out of the water because I was living in New York. So, all right, you, you try to fly back home to visit my family. That's a few hundred dollars right there. You go to a dinner in New York City, that's a few hundred dollars right there. So that it gets ate up really quickly. And I started to realize, although I was living off, let's call it $300 a month in college, and I considered myself a very frugal person. I'm driving in 2005 Kia Sorento to say I was only going to spend $1,000 a month was was extremely unrealistic. Now I still think still believe I spent a lot less money than a lot of my peers around me. I'm always very wary of like the financial literacy and, and savers of the world who say, Oh, I live off of forty thousand dollars even when you even when your income goes to 150000 hundred and fifty thousand. And you know there's there's it, the concept is very good, but I've learned in in actuality, you go to a you go to a nice restaurant and you might order the wagyu steak instead of the you know New York strip. Like you're you're gonna do it when you know you, you you know you have it sometimes, and as long as you're doing that sparingly, I think that's what's important.
0: Yeah, you've told the story of this rookie dinner, and I thought it was super interesting. Would you mind sharing that with us?
1: All right. So for those of the listeners out there who don't know, in the NFL, there's like it's kind of a part of the culture. The rookie at some point, you go to dinner with your position group. So that's usually between five to 10 guys, depending on what your position is. And they're ordering the most expensive steak. So we're just messing around. I mentioned the Wagyu. They're definitely ordering the Wagyu steak and the expensive wines and the expensive liquor and, you know, just doing it up. Well, it was my time. It was the end of the season. And there was one other rookie with me, but he wasn't drafted. He was a free agent. And so our agreement was I'll pay three-fourths of the bill. He was going to pay one-fourth. And you know that was the agreement. So the they threw us a curveball though. So it was only supposed to be eight of us. That's well, I was a linebacker, so we had eight linebackers in my position room. But they decided that like everybody in our room had a girlfriend or a wife. So they had the bright idea that all right let's make it a you know date night and everybody got to bring their significant other and at first i'm like oh that's, that sounds pretty cool that's cool what, you know whatever and then i started to think about it and i'm like that's double the head and then you know these these wives and girlfriends they're they're even bougier sometimes than, the, than my teammates and they want even nicer things so i'm like how did i get looped into 16 heads instead of eight like so I was already kind of doomed. But we get to the dinner. They're running it up, ordering Louis Thirteenth, which at the time I haven't even, didn't even know what it was, some expensive alcohol, like, like $300 bottles, steaks for everybody to share, just, just doing it up. So the dinner ends, and it was about $7,000 the bill was. And I'm like... Wow, this is ridiculous. One dinner, hit him for 7000. So I'm doing the math and I'm going to owe like somewhere around 4500. He's supposed to pay the rest. You know, I think it was like 5000. He's supposed to pay the rest. And then his card doesn't work. So I'm steaming. I'm already mad about this bill, but he like cuz I I texted him before like I knew to increase the limit on my credit card and all and all of that. I told him to do the same. Like I'm like, no excuses. You got you got to hold up your end of the bargain. And his card didn't work and he's just acting like silly, like he doesn't know how to figure it out. So I end up getting stuck with the whole bill, and then you know the vets are telling me to to tip very well because you know we had a, a good server and all that. So the bill, all in all, with tip included, I ended up spending about ten thousand dollars, and I'm I'm walking out of there so mad and you know needless to say that the, the rookie that got that was on the team that year he disappeared still haven't talked to him me and, me and him got beef if i ever see him i'm like one day i'm gonna run into him and i'll be like what the heck man like we definitely have a little beef there but you know it's a part of it but that that was one of the mo- not not one of the most expensive thing I did my whole rookie year was rookie dinner and I've I've paid it forward now because I've I've had a bunch of rookies I've just finished my ninth year in the NFL so I make sure I make sure I'm on the other other end of that and I'm getting I'm getting my 10k worth every season but it was it was brutal in the moment
0: That's great. Well, you obviously grew from your rookie year. You said you're in your ninth year now. You know, your income probably started to grow over time. Talk to us about this balance of enjoying life while you have it there, but then also putting away the money so that you can build wealth for the future.
1: I would say I I saved almost everything. You know, after my rookie year was when I invested in my first property and, you know, I was spending... You know, spending some money, but I wasn't going crazy. I was trying to be conservative, and my mindset was like, man, I want to be able to live good forever, not just right now. So let me, let me like make the sacrifices now and really embrace delayed gratification because you, you know, a lot of guys. Live it up in the moment and then struggle later on. And I didn't want that to be me. So that was my mindset and pretty much my whole rookie contract in New York for the uh, first four years. I stayed in the same apartment. I could have lived in uh, anybody out there in New Jersey or New York. I could have lived in Hoboken with views overlooking New York City and done all that. But I stayed in a small town called Secaucus it was less than 10 minutes away from the practice facility and I had a little two bedroom apartment. And, you know, I just, I just handled business that way for my whole rookie deal and was saving money, figuring out what to do with it. And I started, began investing in into real estate because I, I realized that that was the thing that can really change my life and taking my, earned income and converting it into investments. And then those investments create cash flow. And that cash flow is what I can then live off of. So kind of believing in getting that momentum started to where one day I would be where I'm at now and and have enough passive income to sustain my lifestyle.
0: I love it. Why did you choose real estate investing out of everything? You got business ownership, you got stock market investing. Why real estate? Why did that call to you?
1: I'll say so with the stock market, my issue with it, even to this day, is there's no cash flow and it's all speculation. It's going to go up over a long period of time. That's great. I know it works if you do it right. Index funds, the whole, you know, the whole spill that you always hear. And I got like retirement accounts that has, you know, that's in the stock market. But I'm like, what about the guy who retires and needs cash flow now? and needs money to live off of. And if I'm going to retire in the next few years and I don't have any income coming in, well, what if it's 2022 and I need, let's call it $100,000 to sustain my lifestyle, but my stocks went down. So I'm actually drawing I'm, and I'm hurting my my position because I need $100,000 to live, but my stocks are down. Like So that that math and playing that game year in and year out, I didn't like it. So that's why I dib- dibbled and dabbled in the stock market, but it was like, it just didn't feel for, for me. And then businesses, I think creating a business and it can create cash flow. you know, you own it, all that is great, but it's, it's active. Like you got to work and it, there's no guarantee that it's going to work out. And it takes a lot of time intensive. So my, my mindset and my like mentality where what i started to build in is what i call the trifecta and any investment i consider i really want to hit three things one it needs to be passive because i want i don't want to give myself another job personally So that's number one. Number two, it needs to have cash flow because I want to hit my TMI and TMI is target monthly income. So if I want to get to my target monthly income, which, you know, mine's different than yours, whatever, everyone needs to figure that number out. But if I want to get that, then every investment I get into needs to be moving me down the field, so to speak, towards my TMI, my target monthly income. So it needs the cash flow. And number three, it needs to appreciate. So if I'm investing $100,000 today, hopefully in two years, three years, five years, et cetera, then it's going to, you know, give me more. It's going to be worth much more than the $100,000. So as I look, looked at a lot of different investments, stock market to me, I know there are ways, there's dividend stocks and there's different things that you can do to get, to get cash flow from stock. But to me, stock market didn't really address all three. And to me, starting a business didn't address all three because it wasn't really passive. So, but real estate did. There's ways to invest in real estate that hits all three. And I think anybody who has a nine to five job out there is working and and stuff starts to look at it that way. And I'm not saying you could never like the trifecta is what I really want, but there's times where it might be. You might be willing to have two of the three, or, or but I've never really liked doing anything that's only one of the three. You need at least two of the three in any situation. But for me, I like to do get into investments that I'm hitting all three, and I develop that mindset, and then it's just real estate kept pulling on me where it's like it solves the issues that I think need to be solved.
0: Yeah, in your case, you know, if you want to retire early or you know that the career of an NFL player is what, three and a half years?
1: Three and a half years, yeah. Well, and I think I think that's I think that's really important for people to know what their goals are. Because are you just trying to is your goal really to, you know, retire in your sixties and you just wanna have enough money in the bank then maybe just stock market and letting it ride and sit? But If you're a person who is interested in financial freedom, who is interested, because the thing is, even for the person who might have that objective of like, I'm okay working until I'm 60, like I love what I do, I I can't imagine not working, well, okay, but you wouldn't like some income coming in outside of your day job that is generated, and like you would not get it to the point, like I would say right now is the most freeing I've ever felt because I'm now in a position to where... I play in the NFL because I love the game and I want to play, not because I feel like I need to play to sustain my lifestyle, to make more money. Like the money is great, but I'm not I don't have to play for that anymore because I know that I have I've reached my TMI. And, you know, so I will be able to sustain my lifestyle even without the NFL. So now I get to play because I want to, not because I need to or have to. So. I would explore everyone out there, even if you are a person who are okay with the traditional form of retiring in your 60s, like work because you want to, not because you have to. And you could do that when you invest with cash flow in mind and passive investing and reaching your TMI. So that's kind of my pitch.
0: I love it, man. Yeah. Well, as you're talking about that first level that you mentioned being passive, well, a lot of people look at real estate and say, Man, that is anything but passive. It's a lot of work. It takes time to get it done. How are you keeping it passive, or how have you kept it passive, so that you could do these other things, like you know, be a dad and be a good husband and also be an NFL player? How have you done this? Okay, so
1: there, there's three ways that you can invest in real estate passive that I've done. There's many different ways that you can do it, but and then I'll I'll throw in a bonus one at, at the end as well. But number one is you invest in real estate in markets where you have your core four. So that's your real estate agent, your lender, a contractor and a handyman, and a property management team. If you have those core four, then you can invest passively in in a market. So therefore, and when I say passive, I don't mean like kick your feet up and do absolutely nothing. Like, come on people, let's not be lazy here. But passive in the sense of, we're talking about hours in a month, not days in a month. You can, you can manage a real estate portfolio in five hours or less in the whole month. And I consider that passively. Maybe some people would say that's still active. But to me, if, I'm, if I just need to look over statements and oversee my property management and make sure the numbers make sense and match up what hit my bank account, which with a caveat, you can have a bookkeeper or your accountant do. So it can become, you know, even that part can become passive. But like that's not that intensive you know, of work. So when you can have those four pieces, your core four, I think that's how what makes it passive. So you can do that in commercial real estate, residential real estate, multifamily, like across the board, you just need the pieces in place to where you're not the one slugging and getting the work done over and over and over again. So that's the first way. The second way is real estate syndications. And this is what the caveat of, in most cases, you need to become an accredited investor. So you need to have between uh, husband and wife. I know this is a marriage show. So husband and wife need to bring in $200,000 or more a couple or have a net worth of a million. But if you, fit that or if you have aspirations of fitting that, you can invest in syndications. And just the standard syndication that I'm in, you get an 8% preferred return. So however much money you're in, you get 8% return annually. And most of the syndications I'm in pay out dividends quarterly so eight so that's two percent a quarter and then at the end when they sell or refinance the property that the syndication that you invested in then you get to participate in the sale and add a 70-30 split to the investors that invested. So you get your principal back an eight percent preferred return and a piece of the upside and all you have to do is your due diligence up front you know, obviously making sure the person running the deal is legit, making sure you agree with the numbers, the property, et cetera, et cetera. But you do all the work up front and then you get statements, you get communication from that team. So you know what everything is going on and you just get to kick back and get that. So that's number two. And then number three is short term lending. If you're a person who has capital, I've done a couple of short term lending, double digit, double digit interest rates you know, for a year or less. So, you know, you're talking on $100,000, 15%, making $15,000 every year on on $100,000. That's a great return on your money. And the collateral can be real estate. So, you know, if somebody's, Flipping a 10 in your in your you know city, and you're lending some money. You can lend them some money, and they pay a high interest rate because getting the money from you is faster than a bank, and it's short term. So they're winning because they're getting the capital fast, and you're winning because you're getting a high interest rate. And the collateral, if everything falls apart, is you get stake in the actual in the actual property. So those are three ways that I've invested passively and, it all, and they all take some work up front and a little bit of management along the way, but it is very passive in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that's great, man. Well, you know, you've got this nine year stretch of career here and you're talking about saving and investing to build up this real estate portfolio you have. How much were you saving and investing to get these, I think you said, was it 50 properties? Is
1: that right? I own thirty properties on my own and then I'm in over thirty syndications. So I'm I'm in sixty plus real estate deals right now. You know, I never really paid attention exactly to what I'm saving, what I what I'm not. I just tried to live very lean. Like let me and the way that I do that is I pick my vices. And I recommend this to, to everyone out there. You can't be A travel guy, a restaurant guy, a jewelry guy, a party guy, an expensive house guy, a car guy. That's how you go broke. So for me, I was like, "What, what do I value? I value traveling. And so, you know, I like, I like to travel, I travel out of the country within the States. And and so that's something, and I value, you know, a nice dinner and stuff. I'm getting older, so I'm not in the clubs and partying and all that, married, two kids, all that. So I enjoy having a nice dinner with my wife or going with a couple of buddies, going to a nice restaurant. So those are the things that I value a lot. So I'll spend money there, but I cut back on a lot of the other things. I'm not, you're not going to see me with a bunch of gold chains on and, and, you know, two or three blinged out houses that are, aren't investments. They're just my properties. Like, I, you know, I'm not doing those type of things because I've recognized what I value and that's how I've been able to keep, keep my spending down. You know, the next thing is managing my fixed expenses. So so many people get caught up in variable expenses and what I mean by fixed versus variable fixed expenses is the number one thing that stops people from reaching financial freedom. So, let's go through this. What are your fixed expenses? Where you live, so either your where you're paying rent or your mortgage, education, so the student loan debt, how much you're paying for school, transportation, everybody wants the nice Hellcat vehicle or or Range Rover or or Mercedes, etc. and then bad debt. So those are things that you buy and you got to pay month in month out. They're fixed expenses. If you can keep those down, then your monthly expenses are going to stay down and then you don't have to be penny pinching every second to get for the latte. Like, you know, I have, I have so many people like cut back on the lattes and I'm like, cut back on your mortgage. Like that's cause you get pre-approved for a $500,000 loan. Doesn't mean you need to buy a five hundred thousand dollar property. Why don't you get a three hundred thousand dollar property, a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar property? I'm telling you, that will make that will impact your like lifespan and your your reaching financial freedom much more than. The six dollar latte from Starbucks, and some people are not going to want to hear that, but it's the truth. And same with student loan debt. Same with cars. You like, you know, the guys out there that's getting the huge pickup trucks that's eighty thousand dollars. Do you really, do you really need it? And you're paying dang near a mortgage on your on your car every month because you want to have the great pickup truck? Like, could you downsize and get a more affordable car or get one used and, you know, do things th- that way? So I would say minimize your fixed expenses so you don't have to worry about the variable expenses that, that as much. So I've always kept my fixed expenses down to where some of the variable things I don't worry about as much. I, I like sneakers, so I'll buy a, a nice pair of shoes here and there. Because I don't think $100 is going to kill me when my mortgage is low, when I'm not overpaying for vehicles and, and things like that. So I think that along the way in my, in my career, that's what I focused on to manage my expenses and save majority of what I've earned.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you can clobber the big things, the small things, they shouldn't matter so much, right? And if it brings you so much joy, why are you even concerning yourselves with those things, especially if the big things make a huge, huge difference in the long run? All right. Somebody's listening right now, Devon, and they're saying, yeah, you know, I have decent income. It's, it's pretty high, but you know what? I'm spending all of it. What is one way somebody can move towards a life of financial freedom as they finish this interview?
1: I would say the number one thing is maximize your earning potential by adding value to yourself. You know, we're in an ever-changing world. So you're either getting better or you're getting worse. You never stay the same. So I see so many people in all walks of life getting comfortable in the position they're in and however much their salary is and like, oh, every 10 years I'm going to get a raise and just kind of coasting. And when you're living your life that way, it's, you're making it harder. You're, you're trudging along. If you are intentional about adding value to yourself, then you're going to eventually be able to ask for more income at your job, getting another job. If you're an entrepreneur, whatever walk of life you're in, from the plumber to the CEO, If you are adding value to yourself and increasing your skill set, your abilities, what you're capable of doing, then you can widen the spread between what you spend and what you make. And once again, so many people get stuck on the the spend and cutting back on the lattes, like I mentioned before. And it's like that can move the needle just a little bit. But getting really good at a certain skill set can take you here to here. So my thing is, lock in on your fixed expenses, minimizing that, and then double down on adding value to yourself so you can increase your revenue and widen this gap. And then that's what's going to give you room to invest.
0: Devon, this is great. This is super inspiring stuff. And I know you have all of this in your new book. It all adds up. Tell people where they can get it and connect with you.
1: Go to my website, D E V O N. K E N N A R D. It's my name, Devon Kennard, and you can pre-order the book now. It comes out in April, mid-April. So please pre-order it now. And you know, I appreciate the support. And you know, I talk, I talk about everything we're talking about now, moving down the, moving down the field toward financial freedom. And you know, everything it all adds up. Every little bit, every decision you make, every move you make, it moves you down the football field until you score. And the nice thing is, after you score you can go score again. And again, you're going back and forth down the field and climbing up the ladder of reaching financial freedom and success for yourself. So make sure you go pre-order the book. Uh, I think it could change and impact a lot of lives.
0: Devon, thank you so much for your time today, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: is a forward-thinking man to do all that he's done during his 20s man that is incredible here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with devon canard number one invest with the end in mind devon knew his career in the nfl was going to be shorter than most careers because of this he needed a plan to replace his income when his career was over He took most of his earned income and invested in real estate so he could build up enough passive income when he retired from the NFL. This example, it's a bit extreme for most of us. Our careers are probably going to last longer than nine years, and not many of our incomes will reach seven figures in a year. But if we have aspirations for retiring early or even earlier than the traditional retirement age then we need to start investing with that end in mind whether that's real estate whether that's stocks or your own small business we need to make a plan number two real estate beats stocks for early retirement devon has it right If you want to retire early, early (laughs) real estate and the cash flow that comes with it, it's better than investing in stocks, honestly. You'll see more cash flow with real estate on average than you will with stocks. The value of the asset grows better with stocks on average, but not the income or the dividend. You might see a 3% dividend with a 6% appreciation with a stock, over the long term. And the flip of that with real estate, 6% for a dividend or rent payment with a 3% appreciation. You get the same 9%, but real estate gives you more of that in income earlier. Now, obviously, interest rates are climbing (laughs) and that can throw this whole math equation for a whirl. But overall, I do believe real estate investing is better suited for early retirees. Number three tackle the big expenses, and then forget the little ones. If you're looking to make room in your budget for more investing opportunities, whether that's real estate or stocks or a small business, then look at your big expenses first. Your housing, your transportation, your debt payments, instead of your coffees or your Netflix subscriptions, right? Reducing or eliminating the big expenses can help you make the most progress in growing the gap between your income and your expenses. And with that gap, with that difference, you can really push towards these big goals you have for you and your family. And those are my top three takeaways, everybody. I would love to hear from you on what yours were. Please hit me up on social media at MarriageKidsAndMoney on Instagram and Facebook and at AndyHillMKM on LinkedIn. Let's keep the conversation going. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabitt for editing our show today and to Mandy Burt for her stellar writing as always. This show would not be possible without you both. So thank you so much for your support as always. Hey, if you wanna create some more connections with like-minded families who are on a mission to improve their financial situation? Well, you got to join us in our free Thriving Families Facebook group. This is a free group based on helping young families thrive. And each week we welcome our new members that joined the group and recently group member Kelly shared this with us. Hi! My husband and I are enjoying learning about personal finance and are currently living overseas with our two kids and working on our savings for one or both of our early retirements. I found your podcast recently and love hearing more about personal finance while raising kids. Yeah. Kelly, welcome to the family financial independence community. So good to hear from you and so glad you're a part of the thriving families group. Now planning for your own version of early retirement, that's a beautiful thing. Whether that's through real estate investing, like Devon or stock market investing, or growing a small business, like many others that we've interviewed on the show, you find and you create your version of family financial independence, and then you inspire us. So keep us updated on what's going on with you, Kelly, because there is no one right way to do this fire, financial independence, family fire thing. So share with us, inspire. Can I get a round of applause for our friend Kelly for sharing with us? All right, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. If you are looking to make some connections with like-minded people, not a lot of people talk about this stuff, people. I mean, really. (laughs) So if you want to find a little uh, internet community in the corner of Facebook and hang out with us for free, go to com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. You'll find a lot of people there willing to share what's going on with them and share their advice as well. com slash community. I hope to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Michael Jordan. Some people want it to happen, some wish it would happen, and others make it happen. Best of luck building your path to family financial independence, everyone. Carpe Diem.